podcast 57 of 2022 i'm your host kiev o'neill you can follow me on twitter at obkiev follow us the Ozbreakers. follow us on social media slash the Ozbreakers. this episode is being brought to you by circus sports and casino the biggest pro football overlays in vegas are back with 12 million in guaranteed prizes only at circus sports these contests have two ways to win and no rake the circus sports million has quarterly periods and 100 payback play circus survivor and select one team each week with no point spread Take in the big money with $12 million in guaranteed prizes. Enter in Vegas. Play from anywhere. Visit CircusSports.com. If you'd like to support and benefit from the Ozbreakers, please visit theozbreakers.com. Click shop and become a member. Pick any of our winning handicappers to get their premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on Patreon.com. Get the podcast a little early. If nothing else, please visit the Ozbreakers and become a free picks newsletter subscriber. What a crazy weekend, my friends, in college football. Lots and lots of bad beats, and I'm going to go over a little bit of that. Had a not-so-good Saturday, 4-8-1. and eight and one. Now at least two of those plays were only tiny half-star plays on USC, who didn't cover the first quarter and first half, yet won by 50, so explain that. But anyways, it was a fun weekend of college football because just it was the games were amazing. Lots of excitement happening. Lots going on, but I'm also very excited for the NFL coming up this week. Obviously, the king of all sports betting is the NFL. Had a great preseason, going 11 and five. I plan on using the knowledge that I gained throughout the off season to have a good year in the NFL. Obviously, hoping for that, right? And uh, my track record's been pretty good, so I feel good about the NFL. Chris Farley had a fantastic weekend himself going five and one in college football. I get to give him a shout out when he does something like that. He's not even a college football specialist, but had a fantastic college. Real proud of the guy. We also have his NFL partner in crime, Mr. Steve Norman. We have Kyle Hunter, Chris Lundberg, Kate Constable, Kurt, Rob Vincelletti, Alan Cashman, Patrick Gates, Sean Kanaki, Nick Hubb. Hope I didn't forget anybody there, but everybody's just doing a fantastic job in the big, busiest season in sports betting right now here in the fall when the NFL and college football comes up. So very happy what is to come here at theoddsbreakers.com. Very excited for a great football season coming up. Well, we have a great show for you today because I'm going to do a recap as well as some betting information for this show. We're going right back to misleading final scores betting spots, you know, things that help you handicap and make decisions on a game. This is not just like a picks show. I do give one free pick uh, on this Monday, Tuesday show for the week, but then we get into some fantasy football that try to help you on the waiver wire, being that they usually come out on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So uh, we're going to have D Nasty come on and do a draft. Uh, just We're just going to give our like top 10 a piece up to 50 and then give you some sleepers. We're not going to bore you with a with a draft, but I think it's important for the top areas to know where we think players should fall. I also have some busts that are probably projected in the top 25, top 30 that are important to know, and some sleepers that will fall into the top 50 that are a little bit farther of a reach. So going to get into all that on this show as well. Before all that, wanted to touch on the Circa. I am surprised that this overlay is so big here. On the Circa Millions, I, I mean, this is fantastic, the amount of money that Derek has guaranteed here for the Circa Millions. Six million, and there's only a little bit over three million and 3,158 entries out of 6,000, which is going to give an overlay if not everybody gets signed out. There's only five more days to sign up here until September 10th. So this is a positive EV contest for anybody that wants to get in. I highly recommended survivors also a little bit low uh let's look at the entries on survivor it is 4,283 so 1.7 million overlay so this one's going to be close I think but the good thing about survivor is obviously winner take all even if there's a tie you know they take all so um getting a split over six million dollars is going to be pretty nice for a circus survivor but I got to tell you 
Uh, this millions contest is where it's at when there's a positive overlay. And Derek did a great job putting his money where his mouth is. And we all have Derek to thank. Derek Stevens over at the D and obviously at the Circa Las Vegas. I also want to remind everyone that there's also five days left to use our promo code FOOTBALL22 to get 100 bucks off any NFL package or college football package that we are offering for this year to be a member of the Odds Breakers. So please check that out if you are interested in supporting us and getting our premium plays from whichever handicapper that you decide to choose. All right, let's start off with a Monday mailbag question at info at theoddsbreakers.com. Mike D wants to know where the best teasers, where the best place to buy teasers, actually, where the best place to shop for them. And to be honest with you, it is not anywhere in American books, in my opinion. Um, I know an offshore one that I'm going to say that uh, I've used back when I owned sportsbook.com. Sportsbook.ag is still dealing minus 110 teasers. And if you can get down somewhere, maybe your location allows it, you can still get those wonderful minus 110, 52.4% teasers. I think that is massive. And uh, they're an old book and they've had their issues in the past. I've had issues with them in the past, but I got to tell you, uh, I don't see too many shops dealing minus 110, six point NFL teasers out there. So uh, if you have the access, maybe you should check them out. Otherwise, most American books are minus 120. Um, there's probably a few minus 115. Uh, if you shop around, you might be able to find them, but uh, I haven't seen any lately. So in my opinion, you're probably going to have to go the offshore route in order to uh, get the best of some of those numbers. Hope that answers your question. If you guys have any other questions or want a game broken down, please email us at info at the oddsbreakers.com. All right, time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of the weekend. Let's start out with the good. And I guess if you like offense, it was that Appalachian State versus North Carolina game uh it was also good for myself being that i was able to middle it as soon as that line got up to three like i said on better odds sports betting with kyle and kelly this weekend i was going to buy back a full buyback the other way i it almost didn't happen and it almost was a bad beat to add up to the other bad beats that we're going to get into because when north carolina got that onside kick the kid ran it for a touchdown and he should have went down and just kneeled the clock out but he went for a touchdown, which gave the other team, Appalachian State, just an eight-point, down eight points. And they scored a touchdown, too, and just blew the two-point conversion. Uh, you can imagine just the highs and lows of how that game ended. Appalachian State themselves scored 40 points in the fourth quarter. Unreal. So uh, basically, from a line perspective, that was good for us. Also, what was good was the Badgers winning 38 to nothing. Yes, sorry, I'm a Badger fan. The game started out really dicey. As a matter of fact, the Badgers only had the ball for like a minute 30 of that first quarter. Thank God they got a 100-yard pick six from John Tortillo, grabbing that uh, nice little interception there to the tight end. He kind of just baited, watched the quarterback, and jumped the route. And that got the Badgers going and then Allen had a massive rushing day, 14 carries for 148 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Malusi did good as well. I mean, obviously, they're just playing Illinois State, but they seem to have the jitters a little bit. Wisconsin did even. Illinois State came to ball, and they unfortunately lost their running back immediately right from the get-go, which uh, I felt really bad. He got injured uh, bad. It was a leg. It looked like a season-ending injury. But Wisconsin kind of just uh, got their confidence when they got the lead, and Graham Mertz was able to be 14 of 16, 219 yards. See, the biggest worry I had was Graham Mertz coming into this year. Now it's time for the bad. And I guess the bad, you could say a lot of things about the bad because there's been some preseason-type positions these teams took. Missed extra points was bad. Uh, some of the officials 
didn't do the greatest job in some situations. Hell, even that LSU game last night, they were spotting the ball like a yard behind where the dude actually went down. <laughs> I was just scratching my head how the heck that could happen. Um, also, the bad is the way Ohio State started. And I guess you can say that's good for Notre Dame and Notre Dame betters, but Ohio State coming in with all that momentum, all the hype in the world, uh, blowing that first half, and obviously most of the game, I think it was finally the third quarter where they were able to uh, be up by four and then finally score a touchdown at the end. You could tell that Notre Dame was gassed at the end of that game, but a lot of people drove that line up to minus 17 and lost based on Ohio State. Now, that was bad, but it was also a ton of credit to what Notre Dame was able to accomplish. They came in, uh, they hit Ohio State right in the mouth hard. They just couldn't last the whole game, and Ohio State just seemed to have never-ending gas, probably because they have a never-ending bench of four- to five-star recruits. So you saw that really show its face, but I'm proud of Notre Dame and what they are able to accomplish here because they are certainly in it. And if they beat Clemson and they beat USC this year, they might be the lone team with one loss coming at the end, still with a shot in the playoffs. So bad for Ohio State and their showing, but it was very good for Notre Dame fans. Another thing was bad was Oregon at Georgia here. And uh, <laughs> I cannot believe how poor their offense was, even under Bo Nix. I'm not a Bo Nix guy. And I said when I handicapped this under 52 that uh, Oregon might not score past three points, and they didn't. But the problem was Oregon's defense, even under Danny Lanning, that was just at Georgia, wasn't even able at all to stop his uh, past team, even with you know, pretty good football players, pretty good recruits over at Oregon. It was uh, kind of embarrassing, but I had to bring Georgia right back up close to where they were last year, even in the beginning of the year, um, rather than, uh, you know, punish Oregon that much. I think that this was a lot of Georgia. Now, yes, they are playing in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Superdome, but still, I mean, I was expecting Oregon to put up some more points. Now, that halftime line was about 57 and a half. I couldn't do nothing with it. I couldn't try for a Polish middle. And I had a bad number at 52 because this thing closed at 54. The free play I gave out under 54-1. Some of the premium subscribers, unfortunately, got 52. But a couple messaged me that said they had more than that. So they at least got to count that as a win rather than a push. Um, I, I was surprised that... Uh, the books kept it that low. I thought they were going to move it up to about 60 or 65, but I just checked for the heck of it. I didn't think I was going to have a situation where I can buy out of it. But the truth is, is that when a team is winning by that much, they eventually take off the gas pedal, put their second, third string in and run the clock out. So when there's blowouts going on, the other team usually doesn't just keep pouring on the points unless they're coming in as a dog or something. Then they'll then they'll probably finish out pretty dang strong. But Oregon, really bad showing against Georgia. And now it's time for the ugly. And there was no game uglier than South Dakota State against Iowa. Seven to three was the final score. Come on, don't bullshit me. I mean... This box score is insane. There's a safety. The only scoring in the second half was two safeties from Iowa. They couldn't score against the FCS South Dakota State School. I mean, people are just ripping on Iowa bad for this. And it sucks to have two uglies in a row. Nebraska, the very first week zero. And then you have Iowa in week one here. But that was just plain ugly the way this game was. Total offense from South Dakota State, 120 total yards in Iowa, 166 total yards. Just absolutely horrible. Iowa threw an interception. They lost a fumble. But, you know, a Big Ten team like this playing South Dakota State was should have been a little bit better. But it looks like Iowa is kind of what a lot of people thought they were. It's just a lot of defense and not a lot of offense. But I'll tell you what's even uglier is the fact that they're minus three and a half coming in to this week against Iowa State. That is an ugly line right now. That's a stinky line, and I don't even know what the hell I'm going to do with it, if anything. So wanted to say, uh, wanted, wanted to throw that out there. There are two kinds of people in the world, my friend. Those with a rope around their neck and the people who have the job of doing the cutting. All right, let's get into a little bit more recap here then of college football week one. 
some of the craziness that's actually happened, it, it all starts out with the Penn State uh, Purdue game. And of course, I was on uh, Purdue plus the three and a half. And to be honest with you, their clock management at the end is just so bad. And I knew that of Jeff Brom, and that's why I sent out a play in the fourth quarter to hedge back. And I hope some of you guys got that. I mean, the good news is that Penn State went three and out after I sent it, so the hedge actually got better for some of you. But I'm it's just one of those situations where that that weird catch that the guy made grabs it with two hands, brings it to the ground, removes one hand, but curls the ball in. That was enough for the replay official to come in and call that incomplete after review, even though it was on the field as a catch. That's stuff you don't see in Alabama. That's stuff you don't see at Notre Dame. That's stuff you don't see at LSU, at Ohio State, you know, at USC. That absolutely blows my mind that they were able to uh, turn that because you didn't see the ball shift when he pulled that thing in. So either way, right when that happened, I knew Jeff Brown would completely blow it, and that's what he did. And Clifford was able to come and uh, obviously score the touchdown and uh, win the game for Penn State. It was absolutely crazy, fun game to watch, but um, not a great start for me. Thank goodness we had uh, Central Michigan going 2-1 and one on Thursday. They had a massive comeback against Oklahoma State, which I kind of saw coming. Central Michigan's a very underrated team. You know, I, I think uh, they had a very, very piss-poor road disadvantage against Oklahoma State the whole first half. Uh, lots of ticky-tack stuff was being called against them, and they weren't getting any of the uh, defensive holding, in my opinion. That's I watched the game, but I knew that by plus 21.5 was never really out of it, and in the fourth quarter it came to fruition. Plus, when they got that uh, touchdown at the end and got the two-point conversion to pull within 14, we are good as gold. So, I mean, technically, is that a bad beat? I don't know. A lot of people say bad beats are when you have a 99% chance of winning, 98% chance of winning, and then you lose. I disagree. That's a tough beat. I think a bad beat's when something like a, something easy doesn't go right, like a missed extra point, uh, or when a guy doesn't go down when he should, when they can just run the clock off, kind of like in that North Carolina game. I thought my middle was toast until Appalachian State scored. That's more of a bad beat, in my opinion. Say a team's trying to make a comeback. They're a seven-point dog. They're down by four. They throw a pick six to the other team. You know, I mean, that's more of a bad beat something more unexpected rather than just getting beat bad. So when I get into bad beats, I'm going to try to stay more towards that direction rather than tough beats where you're winning by 30 points and you lose at the end of the game. Like a tough beat was the Atlanta versus New England Patriots Super Bowl when they were up by 27 points in the second half and ended up losing that game. That's a tough beat in my opinion. So we can argue about that for days, and if you wanna, if you wanna challenge me on that, please feel free to tweet me at obkiev or tweet us at the Odds Breakers. I'd be happy to have that discussion. So another game that we lost in crazy fashion was the over on the NC State East Carolina East Carolina game. I thought that you know the fact that NC State was fourth or sorry first in goal from the one. Two times went all the way through the four downs, like two times in a row, and got nothing, and then East Carolina got the ball. I thought that was absolutely insane. I mean, that over should have hit a long time ago if they get at least one of those. And then when the game's about to be tied, the guy misses the extra point on East Carolina. That was a heartbreaker for East Carolina, but East Carolina better sure cashed in pretty easily on that game. Um, tough, Tough atmosphere. That game was sold out. Uh, one of my colleagues, Randy, is an East Carolina fan. He actually helped coach their basketball team. Was letting me know how packed that stadium was, and it almost made me to uh, play the East Carolina side. That was about twelve and a half at the time. You know, I remember that someone gave it out on my show at minus nine, and it went to ten right away. And uh, there's some other sharp people on the NC State side, but I lean the East Carolina side. So wish I had that side rather than the total. Another crazy game was Illinois versus Indiana and I had Illinois plus three and pushed on this one thanks to Bielema and his antics uh the worst thing about this game was the official completely screwed Illinois when they scored a clear touchdown from three angles and didn't reverse it 
You know, and like I say, why do you have kids correct their own homework, right? Someone needs to officiate the officials here because they were influenced by the crowd and didn't give Illinois a free touchdown there. Illinois wouldn't have been in the position to blow the comeback, which Bielema is notorious for, but they would have been up by enough points to win that game and not be in that situation. You know, Illinois outgained them. Illinois was better than Indiana, but just boneheaded officiating. There's also a touchdown, I believe, that Illinois scored in the fourth and that the officials uh, screwed up on. And uh, boneheaded coaching, uh, put that thing into Illinois, Indiana's favor. And so even with the value, we couldn't count that as that as a win on Friday. So I was very disappointed in that. Uh, one bad play I made on Friday was uh, Colorado. I should have took the first half. Like looking back, it's like no doubt. TCU, tons of talent, but brand new head coach. It's going to take him a half. Instead, I took the Colorado the full game and they ended up uh, losing bad and showing their true colors in the second half there. TCU... Uh, any other game probably should have uh, beat them by more points than they did. But I figured it was the first game, uh, bad coaching matchup, and I wasn't even thinking first half. But when I made the play in Colorado, it was much before the first half lines were even out. So that was just a bad play on my side. You know, we have to admit when we make bad bets, just like uh, we can talk about when we make good bets. You know, that's how it is. You have to talk about the whole weekend and how it went. Next one. Uh, like I said, I talked about the Notre Dame versus Ohio State. Smith and the Jigga got a little bit beat up, but still, Notre Dame was just punching them in the mouth on defense pretty much the whole day. But Ohio State looked really good still, in my opinion. That's the weird thing about it. I still think that some of their out routes that they had just to get those three, four yards, Notre Dame's secondary was much better than it advertised. I mean, they were shutting down Ohio State by a lot. You know, I, I was absolutely mind blown by what Notre Dame was doing over there you know uh Clarence Lewis was fantastic Jack Kaiser you know it was just uh, a great effort by the Irish and so I didn't downgrade Ohio State that much really from this game I still think Ohio State mass power and was really shocking or was really good at least you can say for Ohio State, is that their defense looked way better than it was last year. You know, I mean, if you were worried about Notre Dame covering the spread, you were probably betting the over. You're thinking that this is going to be a 41-34 to 34 game. But literally, Ohio State turned it up on defense and stopped Notre Dame to 10 points. So uh, congrats to Notre Dame betters all over the United States for that one. I already talked about the uh, Georgia-Oregon game, but the game that flipped my night into the negative was Utah versus Florida. Unreal. I mean, this game was fantastic to watch. I had it on as I had a Florida game on one screen. I had Ohio State Notre Dame on another screen. I had the tablet playing Wisconsin going back and forth. It was just fun sitting in the pool bar in my backyard watching these games with some friends. Uh, I mean, it was just a fantastic week of football, but. That Florida ending was absolutely insane. And I'll tell you, Richardson, like our guy Brian Edwards says, maybe he is Cam Newton 2.0. I'm not sure, but Utah seemed to not be able to stop him at all. Um, I thought Utah's defense was just a little bit weak because they lost their good linebacker to the NFL. And uh, Utah should have stopped them, but also Utah should have scored at the very end with like, what, 25, 30 seconds left instead rising through that interception. But if you look in the replay of the interception, there's pass interference there on Florida. I mean, you can replay it a million times. The guy hit him in the face mask, knocked him over, which was made him able to not get position. The, the other guy jumped the pass. But Cameron Rice, let, let me explain something also. This is not as bad of a beat, in my opinion, because Florida made a play, and the refs are so bad that they're almost expected to favor the home field anyway. You know, they weren't throwing that flag at 30 seconds left, you know, and uh, which is which is bad for us. It adds variance in the game. But Karen Rison should have ran the ball in. They should have done exactly what Richardson did to them. Much safer play. The whole right side of the field was open and you control it rather than them. You know, I, I was thinking to myself, man, they just run him in, you know, and he did not And uh, he took a gamble and threw that pick and. Even though with the no call, um, it was a boneheaded mistake, I think, by Utah and the play calling. I think uh, their coach, Whittingham, should have just kept it to where rising is very good on his feet. 
Let's see what Rising ran for that game. I'm pretty sure it was a lot. Um, rushing seven carries for 91 yards. And Anthony Richardson had, a, had 11 carries for 103 yards and three touchdowns. So this swung my night because it was my largest play. And that's what was uh, disappointing. You know, just a couple of the other losses was with the USC first quarter and first half, just small bets. But this is a really one that swung my Saturday. As far as some bad bets I also made was uh, Louisville team total over and uh, Utah State plus 42. I I thought that they'd be able to score in Alabama would left the gas, but that never happened. If you looked in the past, Alabama against the group of five teams is actually poor against the spread because Nick Saban doesn't like to run uh, money up on them. There's sharp money also on that Utah state side. And uh, I was on it and also lost on that. So not super happy about that, but it's week one and we have tons of time left to uh, catch up. Had a good play on the Alabama first quarter though, minus 10. I, so I bet the first quarter and the other side of that game, I was trying to create a good situation here where I could possibly win both bets, but Utah State just couldn't get two touchdowns. They get they get two touchdowns there, you know, you are covering that. So uh, they weren't able to come through. Houston UTSA is another one uh, I was on that lost. UTSA, Houston was up in overtime about seven to nothing, but that would have been a good treat for me. If you, if Houston actually won that game, it, it was a coin flip situation, but it would have been a bad beat on UTSA players because it went to overtime. Anytime you're on a dog and it goes to overtime and you lose, that is a bad beat because you handicapped the game properly and let overtime variants beat you. They went the full 60 minutes without giving up the complete lead. So in that situation, you know, I, I I was hoping for a coin to go in my way, but I didn't get one single coin this whole weekend going my way in these situations. So my Houston side ended up losing, but I'm not so upset about it because it would have been a bad beat for the opposite side. Huge congratulations to Rutgers for beating Boston College as a seven and a half, eight point dog. So Gotta give Shiano some props for that. Also give uh, Old Dominion some props for beating Virginia Tech. Now, Virginia Tech, is it that bad for their program? New coach, kind of knew everything. Old Dominion returning some guys. I almost bet Old Dominion. That was a sharp side that also went down. But I just wasn't quite sure. I could have got the 7.5, got the 8, but I laid off it. And uh, just another one of my leans that I ended up hitting this week. So huge congrats to them. Looks like... uh, UCLA took care of Bowling Green. That was actually a lot closer than it was. UCLA scored 14 to nothing in the fourth quarter to make it 45 to 17. But that game was a little close uh, in the first half. It was like 24 to 17 UCLA. So you got to be proud uh, of Bowling Green if you're a Mac fan or obviously a fan of Bowling Green. USC obviously took care of business. That was the final side. I actually had the larger blad on couple stars at USC minus 32, I believe. It was either starting a half or two, I'm not sure. Uh, so I was happy for uh, USC to at least get that part of the play from me. Uh, 66 to 14. You know, Rice actually came and sp- scored against them in the first first quarter. I was, I was rather shocked that Rice was able to do that and march down the field. But, I mean, Lincoln Riley's never been known for great defensive teams, but that offense in, at USC looks humming. I think USC is going to make some noise from an offensive perspective until they play that great defense, like maybe a Utah. And I won't even say Utah's defense is great now, but I think it will be in the future. Uh, Arkansas, minus seven versus Cincinnati pushes, but if you're smart and got this early at five and a half, six, six and a half, then you made some money here. That's how you bet. You don't bet these uh, late moves in all times and uh, very close to the spread, but you got to give credit to both teams, really, I think. I think Cincinnati did great for you know what Ben Bryant was dealt. 26 for 43, 325 yards, two TDs and an interception. Uh, K.J. Jefferson was great, though, 18 to 26, eight, uh, three TDs and zero interceptions. So that's pretty much what it was. Um, you know, don't, don't throw a pick, and uh, you have a better chance to win. And Arkansas was able to take care of Cincinnati. But a lot of people thought Arkansas was going to cover by a lot more than that. You know, kind of like that similar thing to uh, what I talked about with Ohio State, you know, one of those sides that 
did not get uh, get to the window depending upon the number. Let's face it, Ohio State did open at minus 10.5. I think Brad Powers is the only one that got that number. Washington barely covers against Kent State. I lean Washington. Uh, a very tough one for me is I wanted to bet Oregon State, but too many people I trusted were on Boise State, so I laid off. But Oregon State ended up winning 34-17. to 17. I guess in the long run, I'm going to go with those guys I trusted. It was just that one-off situation. But I was high on Oregon State, as you know me, betting them 40-1 to 1 to win the Pac-12 as a reach uh, discussed with the show on, with Ralph Michaels and Chris Felica. Um, it has got a little momentum now. There's cer- certainly their season win total now that we bet over 6.5 has a heck of a lot of momentum as well. Uh Washington State barely beat Idaho uh, 24-17, probably a reason why they're an 18-point dog against Wisconsin. Uh, Louisville, I can't bet them anymore. I bet their team total over, and uh, they only scored seven points. I think Malik Cunningham is has the most variance out of any quarterback or any making his team the most variance out of any college football team in all of the NCAA. I've seen him so good, and I've seen him so bad. You, which one are you going to get? How are you going to predict that? Is it coming out, coming off a loss? You're going to be on him? I don't know. I, I honestly probably cannot bet Louisville side or total maybe for the rest of the year. I, I hate saying that because there's always a number that makes something worth buying. But I got to tell you, if there's any team with a ton of variance, it is Louisville this year. And I'm probably going to stay away from them for the most part. Finally, Florida State versus LSU. What an amazing game. So many red zone screw-ups, and that over 51 and a half did not hit because of it. But um, I got to tell you, it was a wonderful game to watch. That blocked extra point at the end was absolutely crushing for LSU. I mean, first of all, they got a field goal blocked, and they let the guy just run in through the right like that. I mean, who the hell is their special teams guy over there? And I was worried LSU was going to go for two. I was thinking... My over 51 and a half is almost gold at this point, right? Um, you know, in overtime, they're they're going to score a field goal and a field goal or a touchdown or whatever. I mean, my chances of winning that over would have went to about 80% at least um, if this is tied at 24 to 24, up to 48 points, but it didn't. And what's frustrating about this is that it definitely made a bad beat, was a blocked extra point. But the first half scoring 10 points and then scoring 37 in the second half they should have scored a heck of a lot more in the first half. I mean, that's another frustrating thing and another coin flip that I didn't win. So I'm, I'm talking about four or five coin flips here that none of them went my way. I know that they're going to even out this year, and I'm going to definitely get some as well. I'm just extremely excited that college football is back. Already have about seven plays. Most of them moved my way uh, when the Sunday lines came out, as you know. As soon as Sunday comes out, I make plays for subscribers, and that's why I say to get to the Telegram channel so you can get that before the line moves. That gives us options like that North Carolina versus Appalachian State game. So enough of my rambling. Let's get into what's important. College football, week one, misleading final scores. And we're going to get right into Central Michigan. They actually outgained Oklahoma State 546 to 531, yet lost 58 to 44, 1 to 0 turnover ratio. Poor officiating in the first half really got to Central Michigan. Purdue outgained Penn State 426 to 406, yet lost 35 to 31. That's kind of a piddly one, but um, just bad clock management, I'm going to say, for Purdue was the reason they lost that game. Uh, you got to be able to run the ball in some situations here, guys. I mean, come on, Brom. Come on, Jeff. Virginia Tech outgained Old Dominion 338 to 245, yet lost 20 to 17. A 5 to 2 turnover ratio did them in. Uh, Illinois outgained Indiana 453 to 362, yet lost 23 to 20. A 4 to 2 turnover ratio. Brett Bielema not knowing how to manage a game. And then, obviously, that catch that's going to be talked about for the rest of the week uh, got to Illinois. Navy outgained Delaware 319 to 202, yet lost 14 to 7. A 3 to 1 turnover ratio did them in. I usually don't count the FCS games much unless you lose. Bad look for Navy right there. And just another lesson, and I've said this before don't bet your option teams the very first week of college football ever. Option teams, are it takes the longest for them to kind of get going. But when they get going, they get rolling. It's just the first week of college football, they're a fade. 
Okay, just keep that in mind. Appalachian State outgained North Carolina 650 to 557, yet lost 63 to 61. Equal turnovers, but bad efficiency and bad special teams got to them. Tulsa outgained Wyoming 521 to 399, yet lost 40 to 37. A two to one turnover ratio and four sacks got to uh, Tulsa. God, everyone's so low on Wyoming, and look what they do. They beat Tulsa. <laughs> massive, massive misleading box score, though. UTSA outgained Houston 441 to 346, yet lost 37 to 35. Equal turnovers and bad third down efficiency got to UTSA. Georgia State outgained South Carolina 311 to 306, yet lost 35 to 14. They won the turnover battle, actually, I believe two to one, but most of those yards also, I want to say, was garbage time. I think South Carolina uh, took advantage early in this. And so I want to point that out. I'm going to avoid a lot of these misleading ones that were garbage. But when you win the turnover battle, I, I guess this is one I just wanted to point out. All right, now let's get into this college football week two betting spots. And I'm actually going to add major injuries to this because it's important. It's also important to the line. We got some massive line value on a play I'm going to give out to you in a few minutes on one of these injuries. Uh, first of all, Jackson Smith and Jigba left Notre Dame after a hard hit. He's okay, but he might miss next week. Next week, they're playing a tomato can, 44-point favorite. So don't be shocked if Smith and the Jigba's out. Uh, Liberty quarterback Charlie Brewer broke his hand. He is out six to eight weeks here. I think that was a pretty major injury for Liberty there, being that he was the one that's been slate, slated to play this season after losing Malik Willis. So big hit to them. And... The last one we have is Texas Tech's Tyler Shaw. Just news came out just a few minutes ago to miss at least two weeks with a shoulder injury. I will say Donovan Smith played really well, though, in that game going 14 for 16, at least, uh, that helped Texas Tech there. So uh, got to be happy for them. But they only beat Murray State. So I, I'm curious how much of a downgrade it is. I have to make an adjustment myself and dig a little bit deeper into that. Get up spots. It's too early for most of these, but any team that uh, lost should really step it up. But there's some revenge angles here. Like Illinois is in a revenge spot versus Virginia. Plus their quarterback, Tommy DeVito, just saw his ex-team beat the crap out of Louisville. So <laughs> Syracuse smoked him. So he's going to need a big game here. Uh, Northwestern has a revenge game versus Duke and two weeks of rest. So be eyeing up Northwestern here. Uh, Tennessee has a road revenge game at Pittsburgh. One thing I'm going to say about two of these three lines, I think they're massively overbought on this uh, revenge angle. So just because I tell you it doesn't mean it's still good at the time I'm releasing these certain spots. So make your own judgments. Look at your power ratings and find out if something's been overbought or not. If it's like past like a two or three point move, I think it's probably overbought in my opinion. Uh, look ahead spots. Uh, Nebraska looking past Georgia Southern to Oklahoma is very possible, even though they shouldn't look past anybody. Cal looking past UNLV to Notre Dame is game. Uh, Texas A&M looking past Appalachian State to Miami is very possible. Miami looking past Southern Miss to uh, Texas A&M is also possible. And Fresno State looking past Oregon State to USC is also very possible. I'm not going to uh, hit all of these. When I, I, I might miss a few is what I'm trying to say, but I'm trying to give you as much information as I can. But now it's time for our free play for college football week two for this show. And we're going to go right to UAB, my friends. UAB, a fantastic team. I know Bill Clark retired, but they really took care of business this week, beating a, a tomato can in Alabama A&M, but 59 to nothing. But now they're going to Liberty. And I gave this out at four. And this thing is already up to six and a half here. I almost like it to, my number is like, I think it's 10 or 11. Uh, I'm going to check this because I'm going to give this at six and a half right now for two stars. Um, okay, my number's nine and a half. So I'm going to give this out at six and a half. And I think UAB is just a much better team than Liberty. Liberty lost a ton, like I said before, when, when Malik Willis got drafted. As a matter of fact, they only rank 121st in returning production, only rank 103rd on defense and sorry, on offense and 118th on defense. You know, they don't return anybody and a team like Liberty needs to return people because they're not a big recruiting team. You know, returning production when you're not like Alabama, Ohio State, 
Georgia, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Penn State, Michigan, all those teams are, are okay if they're getting pretty good recruits. But if you're not, then returning production means a heck of a lot more. And it's not like a bunch of transfers are going to Liberty, but Charlie Brewer was one of them ever since he left Baylor, it's been terrible for him. He's had a bad start out at Utah, and Cameron Rising quickly beat him out. And obviously, he's got that bad luck here getting injured. But I can see UAB absolutely destroying this team. I think UAB is the class of this conference. I think UAB is also going to make a statement here playing their first uh, conference game after not winning it last year. I think this spread should be 10 minimum, maybe even higher. I like it at minus 6.5 for two stars. Put your drawers on and take your gun off. All right, now it's time for a little fancy football here. Going to get into the draft. And what I'm going to talk about is sleepers as well as just how I'm ranking the first couple rounds of the draft. Unfortunately, Dave can't make it in today because he had a family uh, medical emergency. It wasn't serious from what I'm hearing, which is good. Uh, His mother-in-law apparently had to go into the hospital uh we wish her the best and wish dave and his family the best so let's get into my version of this draft then and so basically it's pretty simple i am not going to make too many deviations from some of the popular rankings out there i mean what i will say is obviously points per reception leagues really favor austin eckler and uh, the word, what I do is a half PPR, and that's what I'm going to go over is like half PPR rankings. And obviously, no PPR rankings, more favorite guy like Derrick Henry. So uh, half PPR, I'm going Jonathan Taylor, number one. He also will catch some passes. He's an absolute beast, uh, projected to go <laughs> over 1,800 yards, and that's what he got last year. So pretty exciting for uh, Jonathan Taylor this year, being a former Badger, I'm pretty uh, stoked for him and stoked for the fact that he's the number one fantasy player in uh, pretty much every draft. So pretty cool for JT. Number two, Austin Eckler. Yeah, I mean, those he receives just so many passes. You, you got to give it to Austin Eckler a little bit over Derrick Henry. Number three, I actually have Delvin Cook. Uh, he's been a workhorse there in Minnesota. Minnesota should have a, a better team this year. So I do like Delvin Cook. Uh, number four, I do have Derrick Henry there. I know He's not going to get too many receptions, but he is just an absolute beast for that Titans team, and their offense is pretty much based around him. Number five, Joe Mixon, just an absolute beast for Cincinnati last year. Number six, Najee Harris. Number seven, Nick Chubb. Number eight, Cooper Cup. There's your top receiver right there, finally falling into number eight. Uh, Number nine, first real sleeper is Elvin Kamara, and yes, he might get suspended, but you can just obviously handcuff him with Ingram later. Uh, Ingram's not going to about 175th in most drafts. Grab him at like 160th, uh, wherever that falls. Might be like the 14th or 15th round. You should be able to easily handcuff Alvin Kamara and still benefit from his greatness. I think he was involved in like 28% of all plays. Uh, would be, He'd get a target or something. It, it was ridiculous for the Saints last year. Number 10, I have Leonard Fournette. He also was third in targets for a running back last year. Another beast for Tampa Bay. Uh, Number 11, DeAndre Swift. And number 12, my first kind of bust-ish player, Christian McCaffrey. He's going in the top three of a lot of drafts. Not buying McCaffrey this year. I know that Baker Mayfield helps him a little bit, but he's also injury-prone in my opinion. And uh, his workload is just so massive that... um, I'm just afraid he breaks down during the year. And that offensive line isn't that good. So I had to downgrade him a little bit. Number 13, Javante Williams. Number 14, Jamar Chase. 15, Justin Jefferson. 16, Travis Kelsey. 17, Devontae Adams. 18, Zeke. Yeah, I think Zeke could have a really good year. Uh, Number 19, C.D. Lamb. Number 20, James Conner for the Arizona. He was fantastic for Arizona last year. Number 21, Stephon Diggs for Buffalo. Uh, Losing a couple receivers like Emmanuel Sanders over there and Beasley help him. Uh, Number 24, or sorry, number 22, Debo Samuel. Uh, You remember how important Debo Samuel was to this team. He was absolutely fantastic last year. Number 23, Mike Evans. 24, George Kittle. So we're getting now the second tight end here, George Kittle. Then number 25, Cam Akers. I think he makes a good comeback after that injury-led season last year. 
Number 26, Deontay Johnson from Pittsburgh is somewhat of a sleeper. I still think he's going to be more involved in that offense than people think. Number 27, Aaron Jones. A little worried about Jones. I mean, I think Dylan's going to get a ton, but at least he gets some reception points for you. Um, 28, Montgomery. David Montgomery for the Bears. Number 29, Saquon Barkley. A little bit of a bust for me. I just can't trust the Giants this year, and he's been banged up way too much. Number 30, Josh Allen for Buffalo. There's your first quarterback. Just fantastic on the ground and racks up rushing yards and passing touchdowns. Amazing. Uh, just amazing right there. And I, the running backs after him aren't complete guarantees either. Dalton Schultz, my third tight end, my sleeper, is next at number 31. Michael Pittman, number 32. Elijah Mitchell, number 33. Uh, Keenan Allen, number 34. And DJ Moore, number 35. He got helped a little bit from uh, probably Baker. Uh, 36, Antonio Gibson. 37, Mark Andrews. Uh, beast for Baltimore as a tight end. Number 38, Terry McLaurin. Number 39, Josh Jacobs. And number 40, I have Miles Sanders from Philly. Uh, 41, Brees Hall from the Jets. Not completely sold on him. 41, A.J. Brown for Philly. Um, there's that Philly receiver in the big trade. He probably goes higher if he's still on the Titans. 43, Michael Thomas, my first big sleeper. I think he's going to be massively involved in the New Orleans Saints offense this year. And the guy went healthy, was a beast. He just missed all of last year. You know, very, very strange circumstances for Michael Thomas. And the injury, and he was also a little bit disgruntled, but now he got paid. Number 45, or sorry, 44, Mike Williams. 45, Tyreek Hill. He's a little bit of a bust, obviously. He's going in the top 25, but I have him at 45. I just think there's too many miles to feed in Miami, and I'm not sold on Tua yet. I, I think that Tua can be real good, but I can't guarantee it. And Just a lot of good pass catchers and running backs there on Miami. Justin Herbert, number 26. There's your next quarterback there. Devin Singletary, number 47. Ramondre Stevenson, number 48, my first kind of sleeper running back. I think he's going to be better than Harris there for the Patriots. Number 49, Travis Etienne, and number 50, Adam Thielen. So Thielen, a little bit of a sleeper. So as you can see, uh, no Ravens running backs there. That's a little bit of a mess. I have just pretty close to what most people have. I just had a couple switches in there from uh, what the norm is, I guess. A few modifications from uh, what some people are doing. But let's move on to the sleepers and the bus. So uh, James Cook, I have at number 56. I think he's going to take over for Devin Singletary eventually. I do have Singletary higher, but uh, I think James Cook will be the man at some point. Juju Smith-Schuster, I have at number 58, and he's going in the like 75th in a lot of drafts. I think uh, Juju Smith-Schuster could be the man at Kansas City and replace all that Tyree Kill uh pass receptions right uh dk metcalf i have down at number 59 he's a little bit of a bust i just don't trust Geno smith it sucks that uh he has Geno throwing to him he's gonna, he's gonna have some massive big touchdowns and some big plays don't get me wrong but i think there's gonna be some some tough uh tough games for him um tyler lockett's there still too after he gets traded which he's crying for uh dk moves up a little bit more in value uh Kyle Pitts, I have him as a bit of a bust. I have a number 69. I mean, not terribly low for a tight end, you know, because he's kind of around the uh, Dallas Godert, you know, area. But still, he's not as high as what people are saying that people are drafting. People are taking him in the top 35. I disagree. Uh, next sleeper, I have at Brandon Ayuk at number 78. Uh, he's going in the top 100, so I think Ayuk is a little bit better. Now that they have two quarterbacks at San Francisco, two potentially really good quarterbacks. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I have him as a bust at number 84. Um, just can't trust him. He's been very banged up a lot, and Kansas City has uh, used a squad of running backs in the past, and they have a decent squad there right now. Uh, Kendarius Tony, my next kind of sleeper. He's going to the top 120. I think he's going to be the man at the Giants. So I think uh, he's a little bit of a sleeper at that position. Um, sleeper quarterback at number 109, I have his Matt Ryan. It's still a ton of arm talent there. I know that the Colts are run first, but I think he's going to get some touchdowns throwing to Jonathan Taylor as well. So keep that in mind. 
Romeo Dobbs is another sleeper, and he's kind of regressed a little bit in my numbers, but he he's still at 118, you know, quicker than uh, other drafts were having him in the past. Um, some super sleepers that you might not draft or might just keep your eye on are, for once, Mark, Mark Ingram, of course, for the Elvin Kamara. He's at 177. Um, Isaiah Pacheco for Kansas City. Like I said, Kansas City's running backs are a little bit of a mess. So I like uh, Isaiah Pacheco right there. Um, I would say that Rashad White for Tampa Bay is a little bit of a sleeper. I have him at 160, right, 160, right there on the button. So I think Rashad White, apparently he's going to be involved in the passing game for Tampa from what I'm hearing. So uh, that's good news for uh, him. And it's uh, kind of crazy. He's just kind of showed up out of nowhere, and uh, he's going to be a great player. So that's what we're kind of finding out. Uh, guys I'm going to stay away from are like Julio Jones. <laughs> you know, uh, he's a bust to me. I think there's going to be two or three games he has a big one, but he's going to be very unreliable and possibly put up some goose eggs for you. You can't start Julio Jones this in fantasy. If you are, you're a pretty desperate man. Uh, Dearness Johnston, I have him at 199. I think Cleveland's going to trade Kareem Hunt, which really boosts him up in value. So I even think I'm a little bit low on him at 199. I would probably put him around the 175 area. You know, I think he's going to uh, benefit when that happens. Um, Hunt's been screaming for a trade. So that's an interesting one as well. If you guys have any sleepers that you want to throw out to me or Something that I might have missed, I'd love to hear you. Tweet us at the Odds Breakers. We're going to do some more DFS coverage at the Odds Breakers, too. DFS is fun. It's uh, every single week you have a different lineup. You know, you have to buy your players and use a salary cap for it. But that's fun. And, yeah, there's lots of machines and lots of people that have um, massive amounts of entries and massive amounts of combinations. Those are some really serious DFS people. They're, they're, I, I've seen them. I've talked to them, and I've seen their interviews. I think it's pretty interesting how people do that. I Maybe I'll get one of those guys on my show just kind of to talk about the theory behind having a couple thousand lineups at like 10 bucks a pop, how it works out for them. But either way, DFS keeps growing, and it's just a, another fun way of sports betting, in my opinion. Fantasy football is actually something that's gotten people into just betting the games in general. You know, they start with fantasy and eventually carry on to betting on sports recreationally. So... Uh, lots of popularity when it comes to DFS fantasy sports. If you have any questions for the Odds Breakers, feel free to tweet us at the Odds Breakers. If you'd like to contribute to the Odds Breakers and you're a handicapper or a DFS person, we're willing to listen. Just shoot us a message for, at info at the oddsbreakers.com. All right, my friends, that's the end of this show. We have a big show for you coming up on Wednesday. Marco D'Angelo from Wager Talk is going to come on and talk about NFL Week 1. And I'm going to give you some more college football Week 2 plays. Everyone, enjoy the rest of your week and go get some winners.